0: Adiyalah Wa an la ilaha Wahdahu la sharika lah anna muhammadan abduhu Verily the praise belongs to Allah We praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness And we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves And the evil consequences of our deeds Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray. And whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone. And that he has no partners or associates. And I bear witness that Muhammad ﷺ is his slave servant and his messenger. We'd like to begin this evening... In this lecture number 51 from the Sharh or explanation of Kitab at Tawheed, الذي هو حق الله على العبيد by Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab ibn Sulaiman at Tamimi and Najdi, Rahimahullah, dealing with the chapter in which he has entitled Baab, Ma ja'a fi zimati wa zimati Nabihi. The chapter entitled What has been narrated or what has been reported concerning Zimmatilahi wa zimmati nabihi Sallallahu alaihi Wa Yani, what has been reported concerning the obligation to fulfil agreements or oaths or treaties or contracts that have been made in the name of Allah or that have been made in the name of the Prophet of Allah, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. مَا جاء فِي ذِمَّةِ اللَّهِ وَذِمَّةِ نَبِيهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم. Yani what has been reported in the Qur'an and what has been narrated in the authentic hadith of the Prophet sallallahu showing the seriousness of the matter of making a covenant or an agreement or a treaty with, between us and a people and we have made that treaty, or that covenant, or that agreement, or given them a guarantee in the name of Allah and in the name of the Messenger of Allah, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Sheikh Muhammad ibn Sali al-Uthaymeen, rahimahullah, and his sharh concerning this chapter, he mentioned in the beginning that, al the meaning of Az-Zimma, Zimmatillah wa Zimmatin Nabiyeh sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. it means Al-Ahad. Al-Ahad. That is, it means a covenant. Or a guarantee of protection and safety and security. Or an agreement. That one makes with someone else. Zimmah it means Ahad. And he said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has an Ahad an agreement or a covenant, upon his servant. And it is that they should not worship anything along with him. That they should worship him alone and not associate anything with him. And the servants of Allah, they have an ahad or a covenant upon Allah. And that is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should not punish them as long as they do not commit shirk. They do not associate anything with him in that which is his exclusive right. He said that the Prophet ﷺ also has an ahad or a covenant upon his ummah, the Muslim. And that ahad or that covenant is that they should follow him, al-ittiba, that they should follow him strictly according to his sharia and that they should not invent any innovation in his deen, in the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah And the ummah of Muhammad ﷺ, they have an ahad upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi a covenant, and that is, that he deliver the message that Allah has revealed to him, and that he does not hold back anything from what Allah has ordered him to deliver to the people. However, the ahad or the dhimma that is meant here, it is the ahad or the covenant between two people, like the covenant between the Prophet sallallahu alayhi and the pagans of Mecca, in the treaty or the sulh of It was an Ahad or an agreement, a treaty, a covenant, a pact, an agreement that they made. And whenever that agreement is made in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the name of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa then it has to be upheld. Even if it is not made in the name of Allah any agreement that the Muslims make they have to keep their agreement. It is a serious matter. It is a severe matter that we have to give our attention to. And he said, Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen rahimahullah, he also said that the covenant or the Ahad, it is called a zimma because the person who makes that covenant has to stick to it in the same way that one who is in debt has to stick to the fulfilment of the paying of that debt that he has taken from someone just as one who is in debt is required to fulfill the debt that is in his liability in his zimma likewise when we make a covenant or an agreement with another people we are also required we are obligated to stick to it and to fulfill it. Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab here in this chapter mentions two evidences an ayah from Quran, and a hadith of the Prophet sallallahu There are many evidences concerning this issue, however, he has limited to these two, and they are sufficient to make the issue clear. The first of them is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in Surah Al-Nahl, chapter 16, verse 91, وَأَوْفُوا بِأَهْدِ اللَّهِ إِذَا وَأَوْفُوا بِأَحْدِ اللَّهِ And fulfill the Ahd of Allah, the covenant that has been made in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the agreement that one has made in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, إِذَا آَحَدْتُمْ If you have made an agreement, if you have committed yourself to some agreement, a promise or a treaty, then you must keep it, you must fulfill it. And إفا الْأَحْدِ here, it means to fulfill it completely. All of its conditions... And all of what has been agreed upon must be fulfilled without falling short in any matter. وَأَوْفُوا bi ahdillah, It is obligatory, it is a command. أَوْفُوا It is the fi'l-amr, which means it is obligatory to fulfill the covenant or the agreement that has been made in the name of Allah. إِذَا If you have made a commitment. وَلَا al بَعْدَ وَقَدْ جَعَلْتُمُ اللَّهَ عَلَيْكُمْ كَثِيلًا And do not break, or untie. And in naqt, it means to untie something that has been tied. And here, some of the scholars said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has compared the yameen or the ayman, He has compared them to the one who ties something. He said, don't untie the oath that you have made. Meaning, don't break them. Don't break the agreements that you have made, and you have made an oath upon them, swearing upon it, that you will keep it. Don't break or violate the oath that you have made, or the agreements that you have made, upon which you have sworn by your oath, by your yameen. After you have confirmed it, and reaffirmed it, by swearing by the name of Allah, or through some other way. Don't break the oath that you have made, after you have confirmed them. And at the same time that you have made these agreements and you have sworn upon them, you have made Allah as a kafil over you. You have made Allah as a raqib, as a watcher over you. That Allah is the one who will guarantee that you will fulfill and keep the commitment that you have made. You have made Allah as your kafil. How can you, how can you violate the covenant that you have made after you have made a commitment to keep it? And how can you break the oath that you have made after you have confirmed them and you have made Allah as a kafil over you? إِنَّ اللَّهِ يَعْلَمُ مَا تفعلون. And indeed Allah, He knows what you do. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He knows what you are doing, therefore it is incumbent. When you have made an agreement, and when you have confirmed that agreement, and when you have sworn on that agreement, and you have made Allah as a kafil as they watch over it, indeed know for sure that Allah knows all that you do. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will call us to account. For the breaking of oaths and the violation of treaties and covenants. Al-Shaykh Muhammad al-Qar'awi hafidhu in his shah of Kitab al-Tawheed, al-Jadeed, shah Kitab al-Tawheed. He mentions the general meaning of this ayat is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded the Muslims be wafa' al-ahd, that they must fulfill, that they must keep the agreement the contracts, the covenants that they have made, when they have made an agreement with someone. Because violating that covenant, or breaking that treaty, or that promise, it is a despicable thing, and it is decadent, it is something lowly. And it does not agree with the Islamic spirit of the Muslims. And it is outside of the way of Islam, that you make an agreement, that a Muslim makes an agreement, whether with a Muslim or a Kafir, and then they break their agreement. This is contrary to the spirit of Islam. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala confirmed this obligation of keeping one's covenant by prohibiting the breaking of it. Yani first Allah ordered us to keep the commitments, and then He prohibited us from breaking them. bi ida ahadtum. Then fulfill the covenants that you have made in the name of Allah when you have made them. And don't break them. Yani Allah has ordered us to fulfill our obligations, and he has prohibited us from breaking our agreements or breaking our treaties or violating the covenants that we have made. Especially when those covenants have been reconfirmed. يَعَنِي وَلَا al الْأَيْمَانِ بَعْدَ After you have reconfirmed it, after you have affirmed it, you have made a strong commitment to it, then how can you break it? And then the Prophet ﷺ, he reminded or he informed us, or Allah Subhanahu wa Taala informs us in this ayah that we have made Him Subhanahu wa Taala as a kafil, as a watcher, a guarantee that we will keep our commitments. He has made we have made Allah as a guarantee or a watcher over us in keeping our commitments when we have given our commitment or made a covenant with someone. And also he says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that he is alim bi af'alihim. That Allah is the one who knows all of the actions or all of our actions. And that he will reward us or he will call us to account for that. If it is good, then the reward will be good. And if it is evil, the reward or the recompense, it will be evil. From the benefit of this ayat, Shaykh Muhammad al-Qarawi, hafidhu Allah, he mentions three. The first of them He said, from this ayat we know that it is wujub, it is wajib, wujub al-wafa'a bil-ahd. It is wajib, obligatory, to fulfill the covenant or the agreement or the guarantee that we have given to someone. Number two, that it is prohibited, it is haram, to break or to violate one's oath. When you have given an oath, when you have made a yameen, an oath or a vow to do something, it is haram to violate it except for a benefit except if there is some reason to break it as will be mentioned later and he said that the more that that oath which one has made is confirmed by saying in the name of Allah or in the name of the Prophet or such things the more that it is confirmed then the more severe is the prohibition of breaking it and number three شمول علم الله لكل شيء yani the all-encompassing nature of the knowledge of Allah that it encompasses everything that Allah's knowledge is over everything Allah Subh'anaHu Wa ta'ala says in the end of this ayat إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَعْلَمُ مَا تفعلون. Allah knows what you do all of what you do and everything that happens the relationship of this ayat to the chapter under discussion يعني yani that which has been narrated concerning the dhimmah of Allah and the dhimmah of the Prophet of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم, the relationship of this ayat to this chapter is that this ayat, this noble ayat indicates the obligation of fulfilling the covenant. Al-Wafa'a bil-Ahd. is obligatory to fulfill a covenant. This ayat makes it very, very clear. The relationship of this ayat to the general topic of a Tawheed, yani why has Al-Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab mentioned this ayat in the book of Tawheed? Its relationship to Tawheed is that while this ayat indicates the prohibition of breaking a covenant or breaking an agreement, it is because of the fact that breaking agreement is an indication of the lack of ta'azim of Allah. When one breaks an agreement, when a Muslim breaks their agreement or their covenant, or a pact that they have made with someone, it is an indication of the lack of their A grand, yani, of their glorification of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, ta'adhim of Allah. It is a lack of ta'adhim of Allah that one makes an agreement, a Muslim makes an agreement and then breaks it, especially if that agreement is made in the name of Allah or in the name of the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this lack of, uh, exaltation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is a negation of a tawheed and it is a violation of a tawheed and a lessening, or a decrease, or a defect in one's Tawheed. Yani the lack of fulfilling one's covenant, it is a showing of disrespect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and this is a violation of Tawheed. Here, Sheikh Muhammad al-Qarawi, Allah, mentions a benefit, yani a point yani that is related to this topic, and it is the reconciliation, or the Tawfiq, between this ayat, the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, don't break your oath after you have confirmed them. What is the reconciliation? Or how can we make agreement between this saying where Allah prohibits us from breaking oaths and the saying of the Prophet وسلم, in the Sahih Hadith Minha Al an Yani the Prophet sallallahu said That whoever swears or makes an oath Yameen And then he sees that something other than what he has sworn to do Or what he has sworn not to do He, has, he sees that something other than that is better than it In, in that case the Prophet sallallahu said Then that person should do that which is better Yani they should leave that oath that they have made And they should do that which is better However they must compensate Or expiate for the yameen For the oath that they have made. They must make the expiation for it. The reconciliation between the prohibition of Allah of breaking oaths and the allowance here in this hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that it is allowed to break an oath when one finds themselves having made an oath to do something and they found something else better than that is that this ayat is aam. It is general. And the hadith is mukhasthit or khas. It is particular or specific or special. And It means that that which is general, it is specified in some cases by another evidence which is specific. And here the hadith is specifying the general meaning of this ayat of the Qur'an and it is making an allowance or permission for breaking an oath in the case where one sees something which is better than that which they have sworn to do or sworn not to do, in that case they may break the oath and they, sh- they can do, or they should do, they must do that which is better however they must, also it is obligatory upon them to expiate for the oath by making the kafara. in this case, yeah, I mean we understand also that there is a general principle or a basic principle in usul. it al-am al-aam al-khas that there are some evidences which are general and they are to be applied generally, while there are other evidences which are khas special and they make some exceptions from the general rulings. And this is something that the scholars of the people of Sunnah have agreed upon. That there are evidences which are general. And those which are special, armed and khas. And this is the case here. That this ayat, the prohibition of breaking oaths. It is general. While the hadith of the Prophet It is special or specific. In the case of the one who has sworn. To do or not to do something and then found. Doing other than that is better than it. The second evidence that Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab mentions is a lengthy hadith of the Prophet ﷺ reported in the Sahih of Muslim on the authority of buraydah and normally Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab doesn't mention lengthy evidences, ayats or hadith but on some occasion he has done so and it is usually due to the many benefits that might be found in that particular Dalil. In this case, this hadith is a lengthy hadith, however, it contains many important benefits and rulings that we may benefit from. However, the point it is the, the point that he has narrated for, it is in the end of the hadith, and it is related specifically to the chapter, what has been related to the covenant that we make in the name of Allah, in the name of the Messenger of Allah. Yani, فِي ذِمَّةِ اللَّهِ وَذِمَّةِ نَبِيَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم أنه قال كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا أمر أميرا على جيش أو سرية أوصاه بتقوى الله ومن معه من المسلمين خيرا يعني رضي الله عنه he said that, the, that when the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم used to appoint or commission an emir or a leader, or a commander over an army, or a Sariyah, a military detachment, yani a part of an army that has been detached from the army, from a particular unit. He said when he appointed an emir, a commander over an army, or a detachment, أَوْصَاهُ اللَّهِ وَمَنْ مَعَهُ مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ yani He has advised him. The Prophet advised, he used to advise that commander, he used to give him a wasiyah, that he should fear Allah, he should have taqwa of Allah, and that he should also be kind and good and lenient and easy with those who are with him from amongst the Muslims, yani those who are under his care, under his charge. And here, some of the scholars gave different definitions of taqwa, and of the best of those definitions is the meaning of a taqwa, it is that a person makes a shield for their self, from the punishment of Allah because it it is from al-waqaya to take a protection or a shield to shield oneself from the protection of Allah and that is done by fulfilling Allah's commands and refraining from his prohibitions yani that a person should fulfill the commands of Allah based on knowledge yani knowing what Allah has commanded and what Allah has prohibited, based on knowledge obeying Allah's commands based on knowledge and hoping for the reward of Allah. And refraining from what Allah has prohibited, based on knowledge, knowing what Allah has prohibited, indeed, and not leaving those things which are not, what Allah has not prohibited, or falling into that which Allah has prohibited. But based on knowledge, avoiding what Allah has prohibited, based on knowledge, fearing his punishment. The one who does so, he makes, yani his obedience to Allah's commands, and refraining from Allah's prohibitions, he makes that as a shield for him that protects him from the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he used to give advice to the commander, to fear Allah, and also to be good to those who are with him from amongst the Muslims, those who are in his charge. The Prophet he used to tell them, go forth, Bismillah, in the name of Allah. Yani go forth in the name of Allah, that is, Bil-isti'ana, seeking help from Allah and assistance from Allah. Not relying upon your own strength and your large numbers in your army, but seeking assistance from Allah, Bismillah. And mentioning, mentioning the name of Allah at the time of beginning the battle with the disbelievers. Bismillah. fi sabilillah. And in the way of Allah, in the cause of Allah. Going forth to fight in the cause of Allah, meaning one's niyyah, it should be khalistan, purely for the sake of Allah. And one's actions should be in accordance with the sharia of Allah. That the person who goes forth, it means that the intention is for Allah. Not to be seen as a brave person or a hero or some other reason, but for the sake of Allah. The intention, the niyyah, should be khalisan for Allah. And the action should be in accordance with the sharia of Allah, with the law of Allah, what Allah has decreed. He said, And that you should fight against those who have disbelieved in Allah. And here some of the scholars said, and it is important, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, described those who you should fight against, as by the description that is significant, it is kufr. وَقَاتِلُوا مَنْ كَفَرَ بِاللَّهِ Fight against those who have disbelieved in Allah. The reason for fighting against them is because of their kufr. It is not for any other reason. It is because of their kufr, and it is in their interest. It is to save them from their kufr, to save them from eternal punishment in hellfire, the purpose of jihad it is not to get another people's land or to take their wealth but it is to fight against the kufr in order to save the kuffar from that kufr and to save them from the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is in their interest and for their benefit, he said, وَلَا 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 The Prophet gave specific instructions to the commander, to the commander of the army, that he should act in accordance with the law of Allah. And from amongst those instructions that he gave him, he said, أَغْزُوا, go forth to fight. ولا تَغُلُّوا it means that somebody takes some of the booty, the war spoils, before the spoils have been distributed by the commander of the army. Yani they take something during the battle and they keep it for themselves. While it's not allowed to take anything from the spoils of war until the spoils have been gathered together and the commander of the army distributes to, those, to each of those people in the army that which they are due according to the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. He said, don't take from the spoils of war before the commander has distributed it. وَلَا تَغْدِرُوا And don't violate treaties or covenants or oaths or agreements that you have made. وَلَا تُمَثِّلُوا And don't mutilate the bodies of the dead. Yani those who you have killed from the enemy, after you have killed them it is sufficient. There's no need to mutilate them. Yani to cut off their nose or cut off their ears or cut off the parts of their body as the kufar do. It is not to be done. وَلَا تَقْتُلُوا وَلِيدًا And don't kill the small children. Yani those who have not reached the age of puberty. And, 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 and likewise in other hadith the Prophet has prohibited the killing of the non-combatants that is that he has prohibited the killing of women and old people and monks in places of worship and so on those who are not normally of those who participate in the battle it is prohibited to kill them as well as it is prohibited to kill the small children however if any of them who are not to be killed in the battle normally if they engage in the war or participate or cooperate in any way then they may be killed Otherwise, Islam doesn't allow to kill those who are not fighting in the battle. Then the Prophet ﷺ gave instructions, وَإِذَا لَقِيْتَ min al الْمُشْرِكِينَ And if you meet your enemy from amongst the mushrikeen, those who are your enemies, yani those who you should be fighting against from amongst the mushrikeen. And this mushrikeen here, it includes all of the kuffa, even the ahl kitab. If you meet your enemy from amongst the mushrikeen, فَدْعُوهُمْ ila salatati khisal. Then invite them or call them to three matters. Yani give them three alternatives. khilaf, Yani one of these two words, both of them having the same meaning. ajabuka. Yani, any one of them that they answer you in reference to it. Yani, that they accept from you. Any one of those three alternatives, then accept it from them and hold back. Waqafu anhum, hold back from fighting them. Yani cease from fighting against them. He said ثُمَّ إِلَى الْإِسْلَامِ In some of the narrations, ثُمَّ is not included. In any case, the meaning here is that here the Prophet ﷺ mentioned the three things that, they should, I mean, that the commander of the Muslim should invite them to. إِلَى الْإِسْلَامِ The first thing that they should invite them to is Islam. Yani to the testimony of لا إله إلا الله محمد And if they accept that, then call them to the Salat and then to the Zakat and so on. Call them first to Islam. Yani, Before fighting, it is obligatory that the commander should invite the disbelievers to Islam. If they accept Islam, then don't fight them. First, you must call them to Islam, unless the da'wah has already reached them previously. In that case, it is not obligatory to invite them to Islam, but the commander might still invite them to give them another chance. However, if the da'wah has not yet reached them, they should be first called to Islam. فَإِنْ أَجَابُوكَ فَقْبَلْ مِنْهُمْ ثُمَّ دُعُوهُمْ إلى تحول من دارهم إلى دار يعني if they accept يعني if they accept islam if you call them to islam and they accept it then he said invite them to leaving their land and going to the land of the muhajirin Yani leaving the land of kufr and going to the land where the people who made hijjah to that is to medina the city of the prophet وسلم, or to any land that is the land of the muslim in that time or in any other time. Yani leaving, invite them to Al Hijrah. Yani the second thing that they should be invited to is Al Hijrah. That they should leave the land of the disbelievers and that they should go to the land of Hijrah, to the land where the Muslims have migrated to. Then inform them that if they do so, if they accept Islam and they perform the Hijrah, then they will have equal rights as that which is the right of the muhajireen those who have migrated from their land to the land of the Muslims and also it will be upon them that which is upon the muhajirin, yani equal responsibilities yani the responsibilities that are upon those who made hijrah to make jihad and then nasr supporting the Prophet وسلم. it is upon them also and the rights of the muhajirin are also the reward of Allah for making hijrah it is also for them and the jizya and the fay and the other things that the muhajireen, the benefits, in the next life the reward of Allah and the reward in this world, they will have. And the responsibilities likewise they will have. فَإِنْ أَنْ But if they refuse to leave from their land after they have accepted Islam, فَأَخْبِرُهُمْ أَنَّهُمْ يَكُونُونَ كأعراب المسلمين. Then their status or their position will be the same as the Bedouin Muslims. Yani who are in the desert, who are not in the land of the Muslims who are not under the Islamic State fulfilling the responsibilities of those in the Islamic State and receiving their rewards if they refuse to make Hijrah then their status will be the status of the Bedouin Muslims Wal al Fay that the law of Allah, the hukm, the ruling of Allah the laws of Allah will be upon them, they will be responsible to fulfill the rules of the laws of Allah and the sharia However, they will not have any of the ghanima nor the fay. They will not have any of it. They will not have any portion of it. إِلَّا أَن tujahidu مَعَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ Unless they participate in the jihad with the Muslims. In that case, they will get equally that as the other Muslims have gotten from the ghanima, that is the spoils of war, or the fay, that is, that wealth that is given through the baitul Maal is achieved without war. يعني, the other things that are achieved without war, such as, those who are under the custody of the Muslim state from amongst non-Muslims, they have to pay the jizya. Then that will go into the Beit Mal and you will also, then the Muslims are entitled to that, as well as the Kharaj or the land tax, and other such things that يعني, are the benefits of the worldly benefits. They would also, uh, they, if they didn't make hijrah, they would not get any of those things, unless they participated in jihad. فَإِنْهُمْ أَبَوْ فَاسْأَلْهُمْ as jizya, but if they refuse Islam and the Hijrah, then request from them the jizya, request from them that they pay the jizya, that is the tax that the non-Muslims who are under the custody and care and protection of the Muslim state have to pay in exchange for their protection and their safety and their security and the safety of their wealth and their property and their children and their families. In exchange they have to pay the jizya and this is a small tax in exchange for the protection of the Muslim state while the Muslim has to also pay zakat and also has to fight in jihad and has to participate in all the other rights and all the other responsibilities that the Muslim state requires on them however it is from the greatness of Islam that Islam protects the non-Muslims under their care if they agree to follow the law of the Muslim state and all they have to pay is this small amount, a tax for their protection and that tax is obligatory on the men who are free and who are a It is not a tax on the women, nor on the children, nor on those who are slaves. فَإِنْهُمْ أَجَابُوكَ فَقْبَلْ مِنْهُمْ وَقُفَّ عَنْهُمْ And if they accept, yani if they answer, they respond, and they accept to pay the jizya, and then accept it from them, and cease from fighting them. فَإِنْهُمْ أَبَوْ But if they refuse, yani they refuse Islam, and they also refuse to pay the hijrah, the jizya, فَإِنْهُمْ أَبَوْ wa بِاللَّهِ وقاتلهم. Then in that case, one should seek assistance and help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and fight against them. وَإِذَا وَإِذَا حَاصَرْتَ أَهْلَ حِصْنٌ And if you have laid siege to the people who are in a place, whether a fortress or in a city or a place where they have made some protections, fortifications to protect them from the enemies, if you lay siege to them, فَأَرَادُوكَ أَن تَجْعَلَ لَهُمْ ذِمَّةَ اللَّهِ وَذِمَّةِ النَّبِيِّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم and they requested from you to give them a pledge or a guarantee of security and safety in the name of Allah and in the name of his messenger Muhammad صلى الله عليه وسلم فَلَا تَجْعَلْ لَهُمْ ذِمَّةَ اللَّهِ وَذِمَّةِ النَّبِيِّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم then don't give them a guarantee don't make with them a covenant or an agreement of protection in the name of Allah and in the name of his Prophet but you should give them an agreement or a pledge or an oath you should give them an oath of protection and security in your name and in the name of your companions تُخْفِرُوا وَذِمَّةَ أَصْحَابِكُمْ ahwanu مِنْ and to khfiru wa sallallahu For indeed, you're violating the agreement that you have made in your name or in the name of your companions. It is a lesser matter, it is a lesser sin, ahwanu, than for you to break or to violate the agreement or the oath or the pact or the covenant that has been made in the name of Allah and in the name of His Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Indeed, to break an oath. Even if it's not in the name of Allah. It is a severe matter. It is of the Kabair. And the Muslim should never do so. However, violating the treaty that is made in your name. And in the name of your companions. Your people and your soldiers. It is less than violating the treaty. Or the covenant. Or the oath. Or the agreement. Or the guarantee that you have given in the name of Allah and His Prophet. وَإِذَا <laughs> أن تنزلهم على حكم الله فلا تنزلهم على حكم الله ولكن أنزلهم على حكمك فإنك لا تدري أتصيب فيهم حكم الله أم لا. but if and in the same Yani likewise if you lay siege to a people who are in a fortress Yani, they fortify themselves and you surround them and block off their ways so no one can come out and nothing can go into them. If you have them in that situation and they want to surrender, they want to give up, and they said, "Allow us to surrender." In the uh, surrender, in accordance with a ruling or a judgment, the ruling or the judgment of Allah subhanahu wa taala, he said, "Don't allow them to surrender." According to the ruling of Allah, according to the hukm of Allah, but allow them to surrender according to your hukm, hukmika. According to your ruling and your judgment. That what you see or that what you believe to be the correct ruling in the sharia of Allah. According to you, what you see. Because you don't know. He said don't allow them to surrender. As they requested according to the ruling or the judgment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but let them surrender according to your own judgment or your ruling that you will make as the emir or the leader of the Muslims or the leader of the army or the detachment because you don't know if you will actually rule or make a correct ruling concerning those people that is in agreement and is in accordance with the ruling of Allah. Maybe you might make the correct ruling that is in agreement with the hukm of Allah and maybe you will make the wrong ruling. Therefore, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, don't allow them to surrender according to the ruling of Allah, but allow them to surrender according to your ruling, because you don't know if you will make the correct ruling concerning them, and yani that will exactly be in accordance with the correct ruling of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rawahu Muslim. This hadith has been reported by al Muslim. The Shaykh Al-Qar'awi, Allah, says, concerning the general meaning of this hadith, that here, Bureyda anhu, informs us that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu wa that whenever he used to send an army or a military detachment for fighting against the disbelievers and he used to appoint or assign an emir or a leader or a commander over them, he used to order him to protect and to preserve the unity of the Muslims and to act in accordance with the best interests of their affairs. Yani to make yani whatever he does it should be in accordance with the best interests of the affairs of those under his care. And then he advised him. Then he advised him to fear Allah, to have taqwa of Allah and also to treat well those who are under his custody. Then he guided him to how he should act in reference to his dealings with the enemies if they meet the enemies. What is obligatory on him uh, to act in accordance with when he meets the enemies? And that is that one should avoid al-ghulul and he taken from the spoils of war before it has been distributed by the commander of the army and also al-gabr, yani violating treaties and at-tamthil, mutilating the bodies of the dead who you have killed from the enemies and also killing those who are below the age of responsibility or those who are non-combatants if it is known and also he said from, also from the instructions of the Prophet ﷺ, he said that one should begin with the mushrikeen by making da'wah to Islam, calling them first to submit to Allah, to testify that there is nothing which deserves to be worshipped except Allah, and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa is the Messenger of Allah. And if they answer, yani if they accept that, then they should be encouraged to make the hijrah to Al-Madina, or to any land that is the land of the Muslims, in the time or wherever that takes place. And then, they should teach them, that they will have the same, yani rights as the muhajireen, those who have migrated before them, and they will have the same responsibilities, of those who have migrated before them rights and responsibilities will be equal and if they refuse the hijrah then they should be treated with the same treatment that the Bedouin Muslims, those who are living outside of the cities in the desert they will be treated with the same treatment that they are treated with and if they refuse Islam, then they should request from them al-jizya, the tax that is imposed upon the non-Muslims who accept to live under the protection and security of the Muslim state and act in accordance with the rules of the Muslim state. If they refuse to pay it, then we must seek assistance and help from Allah and fight against them by seeking aid from Allah. If a siege is laid or a, black, a blockade is made against those people who are in a fortress, then one should not give them the ahd of Allah or the Zimmatullah, Allah, the protection or the promise or guarantee of safety and security for themselves and their wealth in the name of Allah and in the name of the Messenger of Allah but what should be given to them is an ahad or a covenant or an agreement of protection and security in the name of themselves and in the name of the leader of the Muslim army and those soldiers who are under his care or his custody. So indeed subjecting their covenant or their treaty to being broken or to being violated it is less of a sin than subjecting the covenant in the name of Allah and in the name of Allah, the, the messenger of Allah to being violated. And likewise, they should not allow them to surrender in accordance with a ruling that would be made against them that it is the ruling of Allah. But in fact, they should be allowed to surrender according to the ruler of the commander of the Muslim army, according to what he sees as being the correct ruling in Islam, not really knowing if he will Yani reach the correct ruling of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yani not knowing if his ruling would really be in agreement and in accordance with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ruled but in fact the ruling it should be made in accordance with the best knowledge of the leader of the Muslim army because that ruling if it is changed or if he comes to know that his ruling was wrong then those people would be treated differently however as long as he has not claimed that they, would be, that they would be surrendering to the ruling of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then if he makes any error, it would be upon him and it would not reflect upon the law of Allah. The shaykh mentions a number of benefits from this hadith. The first of them is that it is legislated to send forth emirs or leaders and that they should be given instructions to act in accordance with that which is right. And they should be given instructions. The second is the prohibition of taking from the spoils of war before they are divided, violating treaties, mutilating the dead bodies of the enemies or killing children. The third of them is the obligation of making da'wah to the mushrikeen, the pagan disbelievers, calling them to Islam before fighting them if the da'wah of Islam has not yet reached them. However, if the da'wah has already reached them, then it is mustahab to invite them to Islam but not obligatory. The fourth point that he mentions is that the emir of the jihad should invite the kuffar to Islam first. And if they refuse, he should request from them the jizya. And if they refuse, then he should fight against them. Then he should fight against them. And here the sheikh says, and this point is not mentioned in the translation of the sharr, وَذَلِكَ عَامْ فِي al مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ وَغَيْرِهِمْ Yani that this ruling of inviting them to Islam and then inviting them to pay the jizya and then fighting against them if they refuse those. He said it is general in reference to the disbelievers whether they are mushrikeen or others from amongst them. All of the disbelievers. Number five, istihbab al-hijrah. That it is mustahab to perform the hijrah. To leave the land of the disbelievers when one enters the Islam. And the Muslims should be called to this. In fact... The hijrah from the land of the disbelievers, as some of the scholars have said, and that is the correct opinion, it is obligatory on any Muslim who is in the land of the disbelievers, and he is unable to fully display and practice his deen. It is obligatory on him to make hijrah. However, if he is able to practice his deen without any restraint or any problem, then it is only mustahab in that case for him to perform the hijrah. Number six, al-Ghanima and al-Fayy the spoils of war and that which comes to the Muslim state, to the Beit Omao that the Muslims are entitled to, the Ghanima the and the Fay, it is especially for the Muhajireen, those who made Hijrah, but those who don't come to the Muslim land, then they are not entitled to such. It is not for the Bedouins who remain in their uh, places without going to the Muslim land, unless they participate in the Jihad when the Muslims make Jihad. Number seven, that it is not permissible. To give the protection or a covenant of security in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And in the name of, the, of his messenger, his prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa It is not permissible to give such an agreement or a guarantee to anyone And number eight, the prohibition of violating covenants or agreements And number nine, and this is an important point لَيْسَ كُلُّ Mujtahid مُصِيب Not every mujtahid will reach the correct opinion not every mujtahid is correct. And this is the point about which there is difference of opinion amongst the scholars. However, the correct opinion is that لَيْسَ كُلُّ mujtahid مُصِيبُ Not everyone who makes ijtihad will reach the correct opinion. وَإِنَّمَا الْمُصِيبُ وَاحِدُ But the one who reached the correct opinion, he is only one of them. If there is difference of opinion, and two or more scholars make ijtihad, all of them are not correct. But only the one, only one of them is correct. And that is the one who al-muwafiq لِحُقْمِ اللَّهِ فِي نَفْسَ He is the one that has made a ruling or a judgment that is in agreement with the actual ruling of Allah in that matter. Yani the point here is that some people, some of the scholars hold the opinion that the mujtahidun scholars, when they differ about a matter in which requires Ijtihad, then all of them are correct. And one of the proofs that they use is the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ in which he said that the mujtahid, when he makes Ijtihad, if he is correct, he gets two rewards. And if he is wrong, he gets one reward. Therefore they said that a mujtahid, in every case he is right. But the meaning of the hadith is not so. The meaning of the hadith is that a mujtahid who is entitled to make ijtihad, because of his knowledge and his status, that one, if he is wrong, he still gets a reward for the ijtihad that he made, for the effort that he made to seek the truth. And if he is right, then he gets two rewards. And this hadith is also a proof in and of itself that not every mujtahid is right. Because the Prophet ﷺ said, if he is right, he gets two rewards. And likewise, this hadith of the Prophet that you should allow them to surrender according to your ruling because you don't know if you will reach the correct opinion concerning them. Yani that will be in agreement with the hukum or the ruling of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Here, the ahkam or the Messiah, the important issues that Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab has mentioned At the end of the chapter, there are seven, and the explanation of some of them in brief that Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen has mentioned and his Sharh al Qawl al Mufid ala Kitab al Tawheed. The first of them is the difference between the Dhimma of Allah and the Dhimma of the Prophet being one. The difference between that uh, agreement or that uh, protection that is given or guarantee that is given in the name of Allah and in the name of the Prophet and the difference between that and the promise of agreement or protection or guarantee that is given in the name of the Muslims what is the difference between the two? the shaykh says that the difference between these two is that the protection or the security or guarantee that is given in the name of Allah and the name of the Prophet to those who have been laid siege to it is not allowed Yani it is not allowed that the leader of the Muslims can give them a guarantee of protection in the name of Allah. It is haram, muharram As for giving them a guarantee or an agreement of protection or safety and security in the name of him that is the leader of the Muslims and those who are under his care, then this is Jaizah. it is permissible. Yani the difference between them is that one is not allowed and the other is allowed. The second issue is al-irshad ila ila aqalli al Amrain. Qataran, yani that the Prophet ﷺ has guided us to the, yani has given us the guidance that we should seek the lesser of two matters in terms of their danger or their harm. Yani this is a basic principle. The Prophet ﷺ said that don't give them an, a guarantee of protection in the name of Allah and His Prophet ﷺ, but give them a guarantee of protection in your name or in the name of your companions. Because violating that which The guarantee that you have given in your name is less Ahwan It is less than the violation of the agreement That is given in the name of Allah and His Prophet Sallallahu This means that This points to the rule of the taking the lesser Of two harmful things Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih al says That this is a very important principle And some of them said it in this way al lidafa alahuma. Ya'ani That one should commit the lesser of two harmful or evil things in order to avoid the greater of them, of those two harmful things. The lesser of them is making an agreement in your name. That agreement is also haram to violate. However, that is less than violating the agreement that is made in the name of Allah and in the name of the Prophet ﷺ. And this is in the case when there are two harmful things. And it is of necessity that you must do one of them. Then the lesser of them is the one that should be committed. And this is indicated uh, by a number of evidences from amongst them is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-An'am chapter 6 verse 108 That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said don't abuse or speak ill of those who are being called upon instead of Allah. I yani mean the idols of the pagan disbelievers. Don't abuse their idols because that would lead them to abusing Allah wrongly and without knowledge it would lead them to doing that which is worse. Here the shaykh said that abusing and cursing the idols of the mushrikeen it is required, it is requested of a Muslim to do so however when that would lead to the abusing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then it becomes prohibited because the harm of the abuse of Allah is greater than the harm of remaining silent in the face of the idols yani speaking against them is required however remaining silent it is harmful but it is less than speaking against them abusing the idols which will cause the abuse of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which is worse in this case we, we remain silent in order that we don't fall into the worse evil that is causing the abuse of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here he said there's also a qaida a muqabala yani there's another rule that meets this rule And it is leaving the lesser of two beneficial things in order to achieve the greater of them. And that is in the case when it is of a necessity that one of them have to be left. Yani, if two beneficial things come together and it is not possible to get both of them together, then... Taking the one that is greater, yani leaving the one that is less in order to get the one that is greater is the general rule. Just as if there are two harmful things that come together and there is no way to avoid both of them, then the lesser one should be taken in order to avoid the greater one. The third issue is the saying of the Prophet ﷺ, اُغْزُوا بِسْمِ bismillah The shaykh said that from this this statement, yani go forth in jihad in the name of Allah and in the way of Allah, he says from this we understand it is obligatory to seek assistance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when one goes forth and that one should do so with ikhlas, sincerity and in accordance with the sharia of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the fourth issue is بالله, fight against those who have disbelieved in Allah he said from this we understand the obligation of fighting the disbelievers and that the reason for fighting them is al the reason for fighting them is their disbelief And this doesn't mean that we don't fight anyone except those who have disbelieved. It doesn't mean that the only people who should be fought are the disbelievers. But here the Prophet said, fight against the disbelievers. And the reason why he said fight against them is because of their kufr. However, they are not the only ones who may be be fought against. He said that the one who holds back the zakat, he also should be fought against. And the one who... And yani if the people in a land who do not perform the salat al and yani if they are Muslims in a land and no one performs the salat al also they should be fought against. And likewise, those who don't make the adhan and iqama for their salat, they should be fought against. Even though we don't say that they are kafirs for doing so. In this case, uh, and likewise, the, and likewise, it is when two parties of the Muslims fight against one another, then they should be commanded to stop fighting. And if one of them does not return to the command of Allah and yani that one continues to fight then that one also should be fought against. From this we know that fighting, it has many reasons, not only due to kufr. The fifth issue is al-farq Allah al-ulama Yani the difference between the ruling or the judgment of Allah and the ruling or the judgment of the scholars. There are two differences the Sheikh Muhammad Ibn Salih Usaymeen says. The first of them is that the hukm of Allah it is the correct ruling in every case, without any doubt. While the hukm of the scholars, it might sometimes be correct and sometimes it will be incorrect. That is the first difference. The, sef- the second difference is that allowing the people who are in a fortress, who have been surrounded, to surrender according to the ruling of Allah, it is prohibited. Either in the time of the Prophet ﷺ only, or absolutely. Yani this difference of opinion, is this prohibition of allowing them to surrender according to the ruling of Allah, was it only for the time of the Prophet ﷺ, or is it in the absolute sense? In any case, it was at least prohibited in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, if not for always, while allowing them to surrender according to the ruling of the scholars, it is permissible. Then the Shaykh says, before the last point, he says that there is a benefit here, Uh, and he said that it is not proper that one should say to a mufti yani the one who is allowed to make fatwa it is not proper to say to him what is the hukum of islam in a particular matter or what is the opinion of islam in a particular matter because he might make a mistake or he might be correct in saying what is the hukum of islam uh, and likewise the mufti he should not say that the hukum of islam is such and such and so and so because he might be mistaken but he should specify it by saying the hukam of Islam according to what I see, according to what I know, is such and such and so and so except in that which in which there is a clear text, in that case there is no harm in saying the hukam of Islam is such and such and so and so like if somebody says what is the hukam of Islam concerning eating dead a dead animal then one may say the hukm of Islam and eating the dead animal is that it is haram because of the clear text in the Qur'an. The last issue that, sh- that Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab mentions, issue number seven, it is the fact that the companions of the Prophet Wasallam, when there was a need, they used to make a ruling. They used to make some ruling or a judgment in a matter, لا يدري أَيُوَافَقُ While they didn't know if that ruling which they have made by Ijtihad is it really in accordance with the ruling of Allah or not? They used to do so. And here, Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salli Uthaymin says that this is not particular to the companions of the Prophet but even those who came after them. It is their right also to make a ruling with that which they see or they, or they hold the opinion that it is the correct ruling and even if they are not sure in the case where there is a need or necessity at that time, to do so. This is the end of what the Sheikh has said here. Uh, the. Sorry, then before going to the questions, just quickly, uh, the, some brief comments from Ta'liq al-Mufid, the commentary of Sheikh Abdul Aziz Ibn Baz Rahimuhullah. He says that in this chapter what has come or what has been reported related to the zimma of Allah the covenant or the agreement or the security or uh, that which has been given in the name of Allah and in the name of his prophet he said what has been narrated concerning this it shows the greatness of this matter Yani that giving an agreement or an oath or a covenant in the name of Allah and in the name of the Prophet ﷺ is a tremendous thing. And that one should avoid violating such an agreement. One should be warned from giving such an agreement in the first place to the people. Because it is a way that it opens the way to it being violated. If it is given in the name of Allah and in the name of the Prophet ﷺ, there is a chance that it will be violated and this should be avoided. Therefore what is obligatory? of the leaders, those who are responsible for the people, is that they should not make an agreement or a covenant in the name of Allah, in the name of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa but they should make it in the name of the head, the ra'is or the king, and his companions. And this is, the reason for this is that it is the exaltation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the exaltation of an agreement that is made in the name of Allah, and in the name of his messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, avoiding doing so. And it is also the perfection of a Tawheed and Iman and violating such a covenant. It is a defect in Tawheed and it also leads, it is a means to people taking the matter as it is not serious. He said, whoever has made an agreement in the name of Allah, and the name of the Messenger of Allah, then it is obligatory on him to fulfill it and if he has made a mistake in making that covenant in the name of Allah and in the name of the Messenger then still it is obligatory on him to fulfill it and it is not allowed for him to violate it when one has made an agreement in the name of Allah, they have to fulfill it no matter even if they have made an error in doing so and this is the introduction to what he had said concerning this and likewise, similarly, the Shaykh Abdurrahman Al sadi Rahimahullah in his commentary, his brief commentary on Kitab Salheed he said that what is intended by this chapter heading it is that one should be far removed and should be warned against subjecting or any falling into a situation where it is feared that they would violate the agreements. That they would violate or break the agreements that they have made. One should avoid putting themselves in a position where they would be subjected to the violation of a contract or an oath or an agreement after they have given that agreement to their enemies, those who they have made a covenant from, they have made a covenant with from amongst the enemies in the name of Allah and in the name of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa Because whenever there is any violation of such an agreement in this condition, it is a violation by the Muslims of the covenant of Allah and the covenant of His Prophet Wasallam And this means that they have fallen into the violation of the ta'zim of Allah. Yani the requirement of glorifying Allah and extolling and exalting Allah. They have violated this requirement. And they have also fallen into the greater of the two evils. As the Prophet ﷺ have made clear. Yani the greater of the two evils is the violation of the agreement that is made in the name of Allah, as opposed to, if it had to be so, the violation of the agreement that is made in one's own name. And also, in the violation of such an agreement, it is a defect, and it is a lessening of the perfection of the deen of Islam, and it turns the disbelievers away from Islam, for indeed fulfilling obligations, fulfilling contracts and covenants, especially after they have been affirmed and reconfirmed by oaths. Fulfilling such covenants and agreements, it is from the beautiful aspects of Islam that all the enemies who are open-minded to give in preference to Islam and following it. When the Muslims violate their oaths, then they have also done that which turns the people away from Islam while the fulfillment of oaths It is one of the ways that cause the people to see the excellence of Islam and to be inclined towards accepting it and following it. The questions at the end of the handout, quickly, explain briefly the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and fulfill the ahad. وَأَوْفُوا بِأَهْدِ اللَّهِ إِذَا أَهَدْتُمْ And fulfill the ahad or the covenant of Allah when you have made commitments. إِذَا أَهَدْتُمْ وَلَا تَنْقُضُوا Amen. And do not undo or break or violate the oaths or the vows that you have made. Yani the vow that you have made or the swearing that you have made upon the agreement that you have made between you and the enemies after confirming them. Bada The meaning of this, there are two things. Number one, the obligation of fulfilling the covenant that is made in the name of Allah. When you have made commitments to something. And the second of it is the prohibition of violating the oaths that one has made uh, upon those agreements. Yani the obligation to fulfill one's contracts and the prohibition of violating the oath or the vow that one has made upon such an agreement. Number two, what was the advice of the Prophet to the military commanders? The first advice that he gave them is taqwa to have fear of Allah. Yani to strive to fulfill the commands of Allah based on knowledge, not on ignorance, hoping for Allah's reward, and to avoid the prohibitions of Allah, based on knowledge, fearing his punishment. And likewise he advised them, to be good to those under their care, to be kind, and easy, and lenient, and to look out for their interests, and to do that which is in the interest of his soldiers, and not to feel that he is the leader, and he has the final authority, and therefore he can send over his men, and do with them as he please, but he should fear Allah, and he should be, kind to those under his care. Define a taqwa. We said that a taqwa, it is making a shield for oneself from the punishment of Allah by fulfilling his commands based on knowledge, hoping for his reward and avoiding that which he has prohibited based on knowledge, fearing his punishment. Explain, go forth to fight Bismillah fi Allah. It means that one should go forth Bismillah in the name of Allah, meaning, bi isti'ana. بالله, that one should بالله, should seek help from Allah not depending on the power of the men or the military equipment that the people have and they should mention the name of Allah before the battle and الله, it means that one should go forth in the cause of Allah meaning that they are going forth for the sake of Allah for the pleasure of Allah that their intention is for Allah alone and that they should act and whatever they do it should be in accordance with the sharia of Allah not outside of it what can be derived from the words fight whomever Kafara billah. What may be understood from these words is that the reason for which they are fought is not for nationalism or for materialism or for wealth or some other benefit. It is because of their kufr and it is to save them from their kufr and the ultimate end of those who die on kufr. Mention some of the prohibitions to be observed during the war. From amongst the prohibitions to be observed during the war is that one should not take from the spoils of war before they are distributed that one should not violate treaties or mutilate the dead or kill the small children, that is, those who are not of the age of puberty or, the, or others who have or who not from amongst the, those who are fighters. Mention some of the prohibitions to be observed during the war. Yani from amongst the prohibitions to be observed during the war is that which we have mentioned, yani that uh, one should not take from the spoils of war before they are distributed and so on in terms of the fighting, mutilating the dead and so on uh, mention the three matters or alternatives to be offered to the enemy before fighting yani the alternatives that should be offered to the enemy before fighting the first of them is calling them to Islam to testify to the Tawheed of Allah and the Prophethood of Muhammad and then that which comes after it And the second of them, if they accept Islam, to invite them to perform the hijrah, to go to the land of the Muslims. And the third of them, it is to pay the jizya. And if they refuse Islam, to call them to pay the jizya. What can be derived from the words invite them to Islam? And if they respond to you positively, accept it from them and ask them to leave their land and migrate. And there are two things that may be understood from this, two important things. The first of them is the obligation of calling them to Islam before beginning the fighting. And that is in the condition that the da'wah has not yet reached them. Otherwise, if they have already been called to Islam, then it is not obligatory that they may be attacked even without inviting them to Islam. However, it is still mustahab to do so. And the second of them is the obligation of migration or hijrah for those who are in the land of the disbelievers where they are not able to fully display or practice their deen. And those who are able to display their deen in the land of the disbelievers, it is mustahab for them to migrate. Explain the difference between Al-Ghanima and Al-Fay. Al-Ghanima, it is the wealth of the disbelievers that is taken from them in the course of fighting. Yani it is achieved through fighting, through battle. And Al-Fay is that which it is received in the Baitul Ma, in the al-Maal of the Muslims, without fighting and that which is taken without fighting such as the Jizya or the land tax, Al-Kharaj discuss the meaning and basis basis of Al Jizya in the Muslim society the meaning of Al Jizya it is the tax that is placed upon the non-Muslims men who are free who are under the protection and security of the Muslim state and the basis of Al Jizya is that they are taxed in this way instead of the tax that is placed upon the Muslims as zakat they are taxed in exchange for the protection and security of the Muslim state the protection of themselves and their children and their families and their wealth and it is taken from the word Al Jaza the reward that someone is given that which is given in exchange for something else and some of the scholars said it is because They pay this in exchange for them being killed. If they didn't pay it, they would be killed. So instead of being killed, they pay the jizya. Why is it not allowed to accept surrender of the enemy according to the hukm, hukmullah? Because one cannot be sure, the leader of the Muslim army cannot be sure that he will be correct and that he will be exact in making the ruling or the judgment that is in perfect agreement with the ruling of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that reason it is not allowed to allow the enemies to surrender according to the hukm of Allah but what is allowed is that they should be allowed to surrender according to the ruling or the judgment of the Muslim ruler that he will make a ruling or he will make a judgment and they may surrender according to his judgment if they will what is the relationship of this chapter to the subject of a Tawheed the relationship of this chapter to the subject of a Tawheed is that the fulfillment of covenants or agreements or treaties that the believers have made with other people whether in their name or in the name of Allah that it must be fulfilled and this is a part of Islam and it is of the greatness of Islam that a Muslim keeps their word and fulfills their treaties fulfills their covenants, fulfills their contracts, if they make an agreement they keep it that is of the greatness of Islam and if that covenant is made in the name of Allah it is more severe the violation of it, it is a violation or it is a distraction or it, it is a de- defect. Yani it is a lessening of the ta'zeem of Allah, of the exaltation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And to do so is a violation of a tawheed. Yani tawheed a tawheed requires that the believer extol and exalt Allah by fulfilling their agreements, and fulfilling their promises and fulfilling their oaths. Even if it is not made in the name of Allah, and more so if it is made made in the name of Allah and the name of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Subhanaka Allahumma, bihamdika shadu na illa illa antasakfurka wa Any comments or questions or corrections?